0: everybody good to see you all let me just do some housekeeping here Uh, i want to say hello to everyone who is in the room as well as everyone who is joining us on uh on facebook live and uh and youtube it is so good to be worshiping with you today i'm glad it's not too bad right the ice isn't too bad out there right is it good bad good okay because i I got here at like seven this morning so it wasn't too bad but i remember a couple years ago we had this ice storm and uh and it was, it just didn't expect it. And I remember I got to the car and it almost like went flying when I like tried to get into my car. And and so we like had the first service and then we realized we had to cancel all of the rest of them because it was just, it was bad. So I'm glad it wasn't like that. And it's good to have you guys here. I am starting a new series. And oh, by the way, for your connection card, just hit send and uh, and that'll be sent where it, where it needs to go. Uh, I'm starting a new series today called Keep It Simple. And so this is going to, we're gonna be covering dealing with all the way leading up to Easter. Uh, um, and the, the, the premise of it is pretty simple. Life is getting more and more complicated. Have you noticed that? Like Life is getting more and more complicated. People are getting more and more anxious, more and more confused. But I think that God has given us some really clear instructions about some real specific things. And the more we will follow the clear instructions and the the, the guidance that God gives us, I'm not saying that life's going to get simple, but I think it's going to get simpler. I think that we make our life more complicated as we just kind of, you know, kind of God gives us His path, and He says, "Hey, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Walk in this path." And we're kind of like, "No, God, I don't think I want to walk down that path. I'm i I'm going to go down this other path," and our life gets more complicated. C.S. Lewis has this great quote. I love this quote. He says, "Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God, which will make him happy." Isn't that a great quote? I mean, I think that really explains, like, the last few thousand years, that it's like God says, hey, this is the way, walk in it. And we're like, no, I think we wanna, I think we wanna go down a, we wanna go down a different path. And, and so I have seen in my role as a pastor through the years, I can't tell you how many times, I have had conversations with people, I've seen people that I would like, you know, I'd see in the lobby, and we'd chat in the lobby, and then I wouldn't see them, you know, for a while, and then they show back up again. And what, what happens is, is like, God has His real clear, you know, simple instructions for our life, but we're like, eh, no. I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go down this road. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this other thing, and and I'm kind of at the point where I'll try to encourage people and be like, I, I wouldn't recommend that you go down that path, but I don't argue with people because I know that you're not gonna find what you're looking for down that path, and I know you're gonna kind of get to a place where you're gonna realize like, like you need to come back, and it's like we'll still, we'll still be here. We'll keep the light on for you, and we just kind of want to make sure, you know, we'll be here. To kind of help restore and, and 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 help deal with whatever you know kind of messes, whatever kind of complications, whatever kind of difficulties developed. And and so we're gonna we're gonna address that. We're gonna talk about, about specific ways that we complicate things. We're gonna talk about our, our, our marriages, our family life, our dating life, our friendships, our relationships, our how we kind of complicate our relationship with money, how we complicate relationships and things with community and with church. And so our theme verse for this. series is going to be in Romans 1. And so what I normally do is when I have a series, I usually have a theme verse that kind of sets the foundation or verses that sets the foundation for where we're going. So Romans chapter 1, I'll start at verse 18 this morning. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Basically what Paul is saying here is he's like, listen, we all know there's a God. Like we all know, like you look and you see the universe and you see what's out there. We know that there's a God. We know that we need to be thankful. We know that we need to worship. We know that we need to seek after God. That's plainly seen. That's that's what Paul is saying. Uh, for And then verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. So so I actually, what I wanna do today is I'm gonna focus on. On the line that says rather than rather than um, we exchange the truth about God for a lie and i want to i 'm going to focus on that before we get into some other things but but the first part of what Paul says here when he when he 's talking about like everybody knows that that God exists. Everybody knows it's plainly seen. What what he's doing is, is he's kind of giving his version of the cosmological argument. I like philosophy. I like apologetics. I like to read you know different things just kind of for fun. And, and so the the cosmological argument uh, is a it's it's a it's a, a philosophical argument for the existence of God. And Paul is kind of restate you know he's kind of stating it in a little bit of a different way. It's really simple, but it's actually I think it's really powerful. If you I think if you kind of drill all the way down with it, you find that it's pretty powerful. It goes like this it says whatever begins to exist has a cause. And so we know that in the observable universe. We know that there if if there is anything in the universe, there is something caused it. So this Apple Watch did not just appear on my wrist all of a sudden. It was made by Apple. It was caused by Apple. Whatever exists has a cause. The the second principle here, the second statement is the universe began to exist. Now, actually, scientists didn't always believe this to be true. For a long time, like, people understood that it's like, okay, either we believe in a pre-existent God, a pre-existent eternal God, or a pre-existent eternal universe. And so people would, like, atheists would say, well, these are the two choices that we have. I just choose to believe in a pre-existent universe. And, you know, prove me wrong. And so actually, after the Big Bang Theory, you can prove that wrong. Because the Big Bang Theory proves that there was a time when the universe, when it didn't exist, and then it began to exist. Which leads us to the third point, therefore the universe has a cause. And this is, you know, this is basically, this is what Paul is saying. And uh, so the universe, there is a cause behind the universe. And and so and so, what Paul is saying, though, is like, listen, when we kind of decide that we don't want to submit to God, that we don't want to seek God, that we don't want to value him, that we don't want to follow his ways, we think we're wise, we actually become fools. And so as I said, we're going to be kind of breaking this down in a lot of different areas in life, but I want to start off talking about lies. Talking about that statement they exchange the truth for a lie. Because I think all of the roads we end up going down, all of the ways that we kind of move off of God's purposes and thinking we become wise, we become fools, it all starts with believing a lie. Believing a lie that Satan tells us. Satan is called the father of lies. And the power of Satan to get us off the path that God has for us, comes from us believing his lies. And so if we can know his lies and we can identify his lies and we don't believe his lies, we can stay on the path that God has for us and make our life a lot less complicated. And so what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. We're going to go all the way back to the very beginning all the way back to, to when Satan began lying to Adam and Eve, leading them out of everything that God has for him. And so this is the Genesis chapter three is the account of the fall of humanity. And, and I think that what we're gonna see is that the four lies that I'm gonna walk you through that we see, that we see here in Genesis 3 are the same lies that he's been using like for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. He's still telling us these same lies. Now, something we need to understand about this account, very archetypal, right? So you have, so you have Adam, it means the word Adam means like from the earth. So like, you know, humanity's from the earth. You have Eve, that means woman, you know, kind of like the mother, the mother of humanity. And then you have Eden. Eden basically means pleasure and delight. So really what this is, is a story about how Satan's lies led humanity away from God's pleasure and delight. And so let me start at verse one. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So let me jump right into the four lies. You could probably pick them out as we read that passage. And just remind you, I have the fill in the blank notes on your app. I, you know, I spend a little bit of time every week putting that together. I think it's worth it because I think it enables you, makes it easier for you to kind of track with what we're talking about. All the Bible verses are there. All the main points are there. You can take notes. You can email it to yourself. uh encourage you to kind of follow along. Um, so four lies that we need to be aware of. The first one is that the devil gets us to question God's word. The devil gets us to question God's word. Did God really say, right? So Eve is like, yeah, God said we can't eat this. Did God really say it all starts with the devil getting us to question the word of God. Did God really say, is that really relevant for today? I mean, is that really something that we can believe in 2021? I mean, is this, did God really say that this is what it needs to be? Now, I have seen, and I'll just say this from my experience, I could tell you so many people, so many individuals, so many pastors, so many churches, so many denominations, who went from a place of having a life-giving relationship with God that was blessing them and giving them life and bringing life to their community, bringing life to people around them, who have taken themselves away from that life-giving relationship with God and have gotten to places where churches have closed, where denominations have closed, where, I mean, I, I could, I could give you all sorts of examples, people that I know. I was driving up to Maine this week and I had, I was driving through, I was was going to meet with some vineyard leaders and I was with Mike Terrigiano. Some of you know him. He was in the car with me and we're driving up and we went through this town where I used to, you know, I knew this guy who was a pastor in this town and he was a, you know, young guy and he's serving the Lord. And I, I did some conferences for him up at his, church. it was a great church. It was a, it was a, you know, impacting their community. Church isn't there anymore. He's not there anymore. I think he's living in the basement of his mother-in-laws now. I think that's kind of what's going on. And it all started with, did God really say? It all started with just like, yeah, I don't know if I believe this anymore. I'm not so sure. You know, we got to kind of figure it out. Now listen, I, I know, you know, there's this, there's this thing that's going on where people really feel that they have to like deconstruct their faith. Just be careful that you don't de- deconstruct your way out of a life-giving, you know, reality that makes a difference for yourself and makes a difference for those around you. Did God really say? And I, listen, I know that there are some challenges with the Bible. I know, I know that there are, I know that there are some things in the Bible, this is the sermon this morning, this is a sermon where I could go down a lot of rabbit trails, and I'm going to really try to be careful and, uh, and not go down these rabbit trails, but I think there's some important things for just us to kind of even start a conversation about. Um, There are some hard things that are in the Bible. One of the things that you need to know is that the Bible is written to us, but the, or the Bible rather, let me put it this way, the Bible is written for us, but the Bible wasn't written to us. The Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us, which means the Bible is a collection of 66 different books written over a period of like over 1,000 years by different authors, and they all had a different context. They had a different reality that they were dealing with, which we may not understand, and so for example, it is very easy for people to look at the law of Moses, and they look at Leviticus, they look at you know Deuteronomy, and they say, well, this is this doesn't make any sense. I mean, what, go ahead, what's all these instructions about? Don't eat this, and don't eat that, and mold, and this and that, and do this if your donkey falls into a hole, on it's sad. Like, what is this? And, it's, and so, I've, you know, people dismiss it, and people are like, well, this isn't anything divine. This can't be something from God. Well, here's, here's what I can tell you. When that was written, you know, what was it, 3,600 years ago, when the Israelites who were wandering around the desert, they received this law. I can tell you, I've read a lot about this, There was not, there's not one thing in the law that made someone who lived 36 years, 3,600 years ago in that context say, what is this doing here? This doesn't make any sense. This was the kind of thing that they, all the things that are dealt with are the kind of things that 3,600 years ago, they would expect God or the gods to deal with if things were getting codified. So it was, it's written for us, but it's not written to us. Something else that people say about the Bible is that it's anti-scientific. People look at Genesis chapter one and two, the creation accounts, or even Genesis chapter three that we just read. And they're like, well, this this, this is contrary to science. And it's like, you know what? There's a basic thing that, that isn't understood when people think that. Number one, we need to know the purpose of Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two and Genesis chapter three. The purpose is to show, is to reveal who created the world and the and the purpose is to show why he created the world. That's what Genesis chapter one and two deals with. Who and why. It doesn't deal with how. It's not, that's not the purpose of it. If you were to say to someone thousands of years ago, if you were to, you know, and all these kind of creation accounts which we're milling about, the whole idea, like our scientific inquiry, if we were to say, well, how did he create the world? They would say like, we don't understand the question, what is it that you're talking about? Modern science tells us a lot about how the world is created, doesn't say anything about the who, doesn't say anything about the why, and so, and so it's, it's very incomplete. And it's why there's nihilism, it's why there's a death of meaning in our culture, because people are like, there's no purpose, there's no reason, there's no anything, because it doesn't deal with the, with the who or with the why. So take, for example, contradictions. Right there, but there are people say, "Oh, there's so many contradictions that are in the Bible." Well, listen, like I love reading about this stuff. I I read every book written by every. I listen to podcasts by atheists. My attitude about this stuff is like, "Come at me, bro. Let's let's see what you." I don't not to argue, but just like I want to hear what you have to say. I haven't heard one contradiction, one supposedly, you know, contradiction in the Bible that has been really, really hard to reconcile and to figure out and be like, oh, okay, well, it says one was like, there were like two angels, one says one, so there must have been two, and just one person reported one, stuff like that, stuff that's not really that hard to, to reconcile, you know, and, and if there's something that you see in the Bible that you're like, this seems to be a contradiction, email it to me, I'm not going to fight with you, I'd just be really curious, and we could kind of engage back and forth a little bit, there are, there are some things, in the Bible, you know, like you, you know, that are hard. There are some things like what God told the Israelites to do when they were coming into the promised land with the Canaanites. And you read that and you're like, man, that doesn't sound like something the loving God would tell somebody to do. And, and there's, there's, you know, I, there's some explanations and there's some context and there's even some words that are kind of, that mean kind of different things that are being said, but, but it's, it's, it's still hard. I'm not saying that's easy to figure out. There are some things that are like, whoa, that's, you know, that's a tough one. But, but, but the point of it is though, there are things, there's a lot in the Bible that is really easy to understand. I mean, there's a lot in the Bible that's really, really clear, but it's really, really hard. Like, for example, the Bible says, love everybody. Like every single person. Have you met people? You know, I mean, they're not that easy to love, but the Bible says, love everybody. The Bible says, forgive everybody. Like even people who've hurt you, that you have to forgive them. The Bible says that that if somebody's coming at you, right? You don't get to kind of fight fire with fire and like throw the first punch. No, no, no. You're, you're, you're to turn the other cheek. You are to, to go the extra mile, right? The, the Bible says, Jesus said that if you're going to follow me, you need to take up your cross daily and deny yourself. That's not easy to do. The Bible says that we're to keep the marriage bed pure. The Bible says that, that we're not even supposed to like look at someone lustfully in our, you know, in our heart. The Bible says that everything that we own belongs to God. The Bible says that we are to worship the Lord God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What I'm saying is the stuff that's really clear, it's like the bar is really, really high. And so what ends up happening when people like, well, I don't, this is anti-scientific or I don't know about this. And what about that? What always, what ends up happening is the bar gets lowered, like really, really, (laughs) really, like seriously. And you sometimes kind of wonder is like, maybe this is just an attempt to like lower the bar. And that's kind of what Paul meant when he said, we suppress the truth and unrighteousness. I think it's like, yeah, the bar's a little bit high. We want to lower it. First Thessalonians 2.13 says, we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. I just, listen, I wonder, I I wonder if there's an element of faith that's important here. I just think about, I didn't say this at nine o'clock, and I just remembered it in between services. So Billy Graham, you guys know Billy Graham, right? Powerful, godly man, wonderful guy. God used him in incredible ways. When he was a young man, There was a lot of what was called higher criticism of the Bible that was going on. You know, so you're like, oh, well, you know, like, did God really say? There's a lot of that going on. And he was wrestling with it. And he was kind of getting more confused and he was getting discouraged. And he came to a place and he said, you know what, God, I am going to accept in faith that you have spoken to me through the word and I'm going to just preach your word. And he had been doing crusades and he'd been like doing evangelistic stuff. He said that after he made that commitment, everything changed. He would like preach the same messages, but it's like thousands of people would come to Christ. He went from speaking in churches to speaking in stadiums. And you guys all know the impact of Billy Graham. He says that it came down to him saying, I'm going to choose to believe the word of God. That, that's where, that's where everything changed. I like what Tim Keller said. Tim Keller's a pastor, uh, from Manhattan, Redeemer Presbyterian. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Like if you don't ever find anything in the Bible that's like, that's hard, you know, it's like, oh, I don't know if I see this or I don't know if I agree or this seems a little hard. You might just be projecting all of your ideas and saying, hey, you know what? I'm, the, I'm basically as smart a guy as God and if God was as smart as me, he'd have everything line up with what I think. So that's the first lie. Did God really say the second lie? The devil scoffs at the negative consequences of sin. In other words, he says, yeah, go down this road, do this, be great. Nothing bad's going to happen. It's going to work out really, really well. Genesis chapter three, verse three. You must not eat from the, from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die, right? That's what, that's what Eve said, reporting. You know, what God said, don't, don't touch this or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. You will not certainly die. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And we talk about, you know, I was talking the last couple of weeks, we're talking about, you know, death, you know, being the, the opposite of God's best. That God wants his best for each and every one of us. And the wages of sin is the opposite of that. And so, I mean, how many ways, how many times does the temptation come our way? We know it contradicts what's in the Word of God. We know it contradicts what God says. And we're like, oh, I don't know, I think I'm, should I go down that road? You know, and the devil comes and says, you will not certainly die. No, this is gonna work out really, really great. I mean, I could give you so many examples. Like I, I don't—I kind of don't even know if I have to stand here and give examples because we understand, like we see death all over our culture, right? I mean, we see all the ways that our culture has decided God doesn't know what he's talking about. We're gonna do things our way. And we see that there's just death kind of everywhere. You know, death in marriages right? God says, hey, if you want a marriage that's going to work, you know, husband, you know, you need to love each other the way Christ loves the church. And we're like, nah, I don't want to do that. Now, I, I want my spouse to cater to my needs. I want them to like, you know, I, I want this to be, going to be 50-50. That's what we want. And then we have, we have death in our marriages, right? We have, we have um, uh, death in, when it comes to partying, you know, so much of the, the, you know, people say, oh, I'm just gonna like, you know, let me get high and I just want to find out where the party is and I'm gonna have a good time. And we see that that there's, there's a death that's going on. You will not certainly die. Over 21 million Americans right now are addicted to drugs or alcohol. Only 10% of them will end up receiving treatment. The cost, $740 billion annually is lost in workplace productivity, healthcare expenses, all sorts of other things. When it comes to purpose, I talk all the time about about purpose, the importance of purpose. Do you, you know, but the devil comes and he says, "No, no, 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 no. Don't don't live for God. Don't live for his purposes. Live for yourself. That's going to be awesome. That's going to be really great. You will not certainly die." So, do you know that that 25% only 25% of American adults say that they have a clear sense of purpose about what makes their life meaningful? Only 25% of, I mean, 75% of adults are just kind of going through life. They have no purpose, they have no direction. When they experience hardships, they don't have a purpose that is enabled, that strengthens them to get through those hardships. It says this in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. And how many of us have believed that lie? Now you know what we kind of know. Okay, let's go down this road and but um, I don't know about that. You will not certainly die. This will not lead to death. And we know better. Like we know better honestly, and I know we get deceived, we get blinded, but we have all experienced so much in our life and we've we've experienced stuff ourselves. We've seen. We should know that when the devil comes with that lie, that lie shouldn't have any more power. Because we have so many examples of, of death. I mean, death that we've experienced in our own life. Death that we've seen other people go through. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Here's the third lie. The devil accuses God of evil intent. The devil accuses God of evil intent. So you see this in the story. Genesis 3 verse 5 says, for God knows, like as far as here, here's why God doesn't want you to eat the fruit. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what Satan says is, hey, listen, here's what's going on. God is trying to keep something from you. You think, you know what? You want knowledge. You want experience. You want good stuff. But God doesn't want that for you. And so the reason God says, don't do this, the reason God is putting this boundary up is he's not really for you. He doesn't really want what's best for you. God is telling you not to eat because he's not because, you know, what's in his heart isn't to bless you, isn't to give you something. What's in his heart is to take from you. He's trying to limit you. And that is a lie that causes so much pain. I know that I have brought so many painful things into my life because I believe that lie. And I bet if we would just kind of go around this room right now, how many of us would say, I believe that lie. And it, and it ended up just robbing me of so much. Cause the truth is that is that God is for you that God loves you, that God created you. God knows what makes a good life. God, God is smarter than us. God has shown over and over again how much he loves us, how much he's for us. Psalm 1611 says, you will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures for everymore. And I think what, what the devil's doing with this is he's projecting. He's projecting with this lie because Jesus tells us in John 10.10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, Satan is the one. He's the one who comes to steal, who comes to kill, who comes to destroy. I am not a thief, Jesus says. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. See, Satan is the one. He will tell us, God wants to rob from you. Jesus wants to rob from you. The reality is Satan is the robber. Satan is the destroyer. Satan is the one who wants to hurt you. We need to know, we need to believe. I'll tell you, I think one of the most powerful things that we can believe is if we like really believe from the depths of our heart that God is for us. Like, if you will really believe, like, if you'll get up every single day believing that the God of the universe loves you so much that he, you know, like, like He he knows the hairs on your head and, you know, all his thoughts towards you, like, he loves you so much and he's so committed to you and he wants you to experience more joy and more purpose and more love and more life. Like, if you will really believe that, it will change your Christian life because you will jump out of bed like, can't wait to see what God has for me today. And so you know the the last thing that Satan wants is for you to trust God. That's really what this lie is about. It's like, trust him. Because the reality is anything that God tells us that we shouldn't do, it's because he loves us. It's because the same reason we don't want our kid to play in traffic, that we don't want our kid to touch the hot stove. God (coughs) says, I'm gonna draw up some parameters The abundant life, the good life, is a life that's lived with parameters. How many of you have a fireplace in your house? Anybody? Fireplace? Like three of you? I said I did that this morning. It was like one hand went up and everyone, someone said, we all live in apartments. And I'm like, okay, fair, fair enough. But like a fireplace, we have a fireplace, but we don't use it. We always talk about using it, but we don't use it. But, you know, fireplace, you know, you, you get the fire going in the fireplace and it's been so cold, you know, last couple of weeks. And so, so you get the fire raging and, and you sit, you know, maybe you got a nice chair and you have a cup of hot chocolate and you got a book and maybe your dog's like sleeping at your feet. It's like, what a, you know, what a picture. It's a great night. But you take that fire, and you move it five feet, and you put it in the middle of the living room, that's not a great night anymore, right? That's going to become, like, like, probably one of the worst nights of your life. This is how it works. This is how God gives us certain parameters because he loves us. He gives us parameters when it comes to sex, but he gives us parameters when it comes to, like, all different all different aspects of our life because he loves us and because he's for us. You know, life can be, can be enjoyed to the fullest if we follow the one who created all of it. He created, he created all of it. He explains it to us. He's demonstrated to us how much he loves us. And so we need to believe him and we need to follow him. It leads to my, the fourth lie, the final lie is the devil uses sin to create shame that destroys our future relationships. So the lie here is like basically hide. So let me let me read verse seven to nine. It says, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? so, so basically, so what happens here is that after they, they eat the fruit, all of a sudden they have shame. They have shame and they've got to cover themselves up and they've got, to hide. God comes like for his appointment every day. He would come and he'd walk with them in the garden. They had unbroken fellowship with God. And now God shows up and they're hiding from him. And then what you see a little bit like the next verse, they turn on each other. Adam says, well, this is Eve, the woman that you gave me. This is her fault. She's the one. She did this. And so see, this is the point. This is what the devil wants to do is he lies to us and he says, go down these roads. You know, did God really say, uh, you know, he doesn't, God, God doesn't want to bless you. He wants to keep things from you. It's not going to be so bad. You sh- you will not, sur- you know, surely die. So we go down these roads and then we experience death and then we experience shame. And so then what the devil does is he says, Hey, you know what? You've got so much shame. You're so ugly. You're so broken. You're such a mess. Hide. You need to hide. You need to cover up. You need to hide from God. You need to hide from people. You got to put walls up. You got to protect yourself. And that, I believe, is the ultimate intention of Satan's lies, is he wants to isolate us. He wants to separate us from God. He wants to separate us from one another. And I wonder if there might be some people that I'm talking to today, either in this room or out there, where you just say, yeah, you know what? I've believed some of these lies. I've gone down some roads, and you know what? Now I'm in a place where I'm living with shame. And the way that shame manifests itself, so one of the ways that it kind of shows up is I've talked to I've talked to some of you about this, where I'm like, "Hey, man, serve God, and God loves you, and let's get involved, and let's do this." And you're like, "No, I can't, I can't." You know, I, I I'm gonna sit in the back row because really the best that I can do is sit in the back row. And if I come into the fifth row, I think a lightning bolt's gonna get me, and I'll be toast. So I'll just stay in the back row. I and that that's shame. That's make, keeping you from really getting involved. It's shame that makes us hide. We put masks on. We don't let anybody in. You know, a lot of times I think there's this there's this epidemic of loneliness that's going on in our culture, and I think so much of it is driven by shame because we we're just afraid. We're afraid that if people get in and they see us, they're going to reject us, and so so we put these walls up, and maybe we spend all our time like I'm going to pretend that I have the most perfect life by my beautiful Instagram post that I'm going to make with all the filters in the golden hour, and we think, okay, well we're, that's that's how we're going to deal with like the shame of what's going on inside. One of the things that I've seen, I've got this I've got this 90 pound lab named Teddy, and Teddy, you know, it's 90 pounds, it's a big dog. Teddy is scared of his own shadow. Teddy, like literally, like Teddy, like he'll be on the back deck and he'll be afraid to go off the back deck because there's a squirrel in the backyard and he's scared of the squirrel. But then, you know, you see like a little dog, you know, and it's always the little dogs that are like, you know, that are going crazy. And I think we're kind of like that. And I think that's one of the ways that shame kind of manifests in our life. You might be someone who's like, yeah, man, I'm Jersey, I'm street, I'm tough. Nobody messes with me. And you just like, I give back as good as I get. and Nobody's going to mess with me and yada, yada. And you know what? Maybe it's not that you're strong. Maybe it's that you've just got a ton of shame in your life. Maybe you just kind of, you know, that's your thing. Is like, I'm going to push people. I'm afraid that if people come and they get to know me and they get to see me and they get to see who I really am, they're going to reject me. So I'm going to reject them first or I'm gonna gonna put up this facade, I'm gonna put up this like tough guy, don't mess with me type thing, because honestly, I'm full of shame. And I'm afraid that somebody's gonna get in and they're gonna see what's really going on. But you don't need to live in shame. Psalm 34 verse five says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Never covered with shame. See, here's what I want for our church. Here's what I believe God's intention, his plan is, is that, you know what, we all just kind of recognize that we have believed the lies of the devil. We have trafficked in those lies, we've gone down roads, and we've got wounds, and we've got baggage, and we've got a limp, and we've got a tick, and we've got all, you know, we're carrying all sorts of stuff, but but we've come to understand that God loves us, and he's for us, and we're all in the same hospital, and so there is no shame there is no guilt, there is no manipulation, there is just saying, hey, let's all just love each other, let's support each other, let's take the masks off, let's be real with each other. Now we're not gonna lower the standard. Remember I was talking about the standard in God's word that I think so much of the deconstruction is about like, I don't like that standard, I want that standard lower. We're not gonna lower the standard. But we're, we're not going to judge and shame one another as we struggle to live up to that standard. We're going to encourage one another to just continue the, the process of transformation. Let God do what he's going to do. Let's all take a step closer. Let's, let's draw near to Jesus. Let's worship him with no shame, no guilt, no manipulation. That's what God is calling our church to be. It says this in Romans 2, 4, do you show the contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. All right, so here's the last thing. I'm gonna do this quick. So if you have found yourself believing these lies, and maybe you're in a place right now where you're just kind of like realizing that there's some death in your life, there's some difficulties, there's some challenges, and you're like, yeah, I've been been believing lies. There are three responses that you can have. The first is defensiveness. That you just kind of say, you know what? Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it my way. You can, you know, if you want, if you, you know, do Frank Sinatra. I did it my way. If you like rock and roll, do Bon Jovi. It's my life. I don't know. I don't know if there's a country song that I can do to cover all the genres, but you just kind of have that mindset that says, nobody's going to tell me what to do. And I'm not going to listen to some archaic God from some ancient manuscript. And I'm not, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to listen to that. Listen, I'm not, if that's where you're at, I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue, you know, it's it's like, listen, what you need to understand as you kind of continue to go down these rows and just say, how is this working out for you? That you understand that, that God, that, that He is like the Father in the parable of the prodigal son. And so, in the parable of the prodigal son, the, the son he's like, you know, I want to live my life. I want to do things my way. I want to throw off all the parameters, all the boundaries. You don't know anything, dad. Give me the inheritance. I'm done. I'm going to party. I'm just going to. I'm going to believe all the devil's lies. And then he ends up totally bottoming out. Life is not working well for him. And then what he says is, well, I'm going to go back to my father's house. Let maybe he'll let me be a slave. And so the son starts going back to the father's house. The father is waiting at the top of the road. As soon as he sees the son. He He runs to him and he embraces him and he hugs him and he restores him and he just lavishes him with grace. I just want you to know that is what your heavenly father is like. And so when you're ready to take a step back, he's going to run to meet you because that's who he is. That's how much he loves you. So so that's one response is defensiveness. Another one is remorse. You might say, well, you know what? If I would have heard this message 10 years ago, or 15 years ago, or 20 years ago, then maybe it could have made a difference. But I've lied to too many people. I've ripped off too many people. I've slept with too many people. I've partied with too many people. I've this or that, whatever. I've gone too far. It's too late. But what I want to tell you, I don't know, and I I kind of feel the Holy Spirit right now, that, that if there's somebody here, I think somebody here in this room, that you're in that place right now where you think it's too late for me. It's too late. And God wants you to know that it is never too late. As long as you have breath, it is not too late. And I think about the thief on the cross. Remember the thief on the cross? Jesus is up on the cross, and he's got a thief to his right, a thief to his left, and one of the thieves is just mocking him. The other one, on the cross, he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And now this thief on the cross, you want to say it was too late for someone? He was never getting down off that cross. His life was done. I mean, he was like in a couple hours, his life was going to be done. What did Jesus say? He said, today you will be with me in paradise. Romans 8, one to two says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who were in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. There, if you just, it's never too late. If you just cry out and you say, help me, Jesus, Jesus will forgive you. He will restore you. He will set you free. He will bring you into the, the life, the freedom that he has for you. He will set you free from the law of sin and death. And so the third, the third response is the one that I hope that we'll all do, that we all live in this kind of attitude and that's repentance. See, that we stop believing the lie and start believing the truth. And so where is it? Where is it that you're struggling right now? What lie is it that you're believing? Are you believing the lie that says, did God really say? Are you starting to deconstruct yourself out of a life-giving relationship and connection with God? Just stop believing that lie. And there's so much more that can be said about this and books that can be read and conversations that can be had. But what if you just for now started to say, okay, God, I'm going to accept that you want us to have a book, that we have the book that you want us to have. And I'm going to start expecting that you're going to speak to me through your word. And you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop believing that lie. And if there's something that I don't understand, I'm just going to give that to you. And I'm going to focus on the things that I do understand. Right? What, what if we just, you know, if we, if we took that perspective? Maybe you're, maybe you're believing that you're like involved in a relationship or you're involved in an activity or you're involved in something and, you know, believing the lie that, that says you will not certainly die. And then maybe you just kind of like, hey, you know what? Here's the reality. Like there's death all around me. There's death with my friends. There's death in my soul. There's there's like a lot of death right here. I'm going to stop believing that lie and I'm going to start believing that God loves me and that he's for me and I'm going to start putting him first in my life. Maybe you're believing the lie that, that God is wanting to deny you something. He's wanting to rip you off and, and just say, well, if I follow Jesus and if I put him first, then, you know, my life's gonna be less, it's gonna be smaller. And just say, I'm not going to believe that anymore. I'm going to believe that if God is for me, who can be against me? I'm going to wake up every morning and I'm gonna believe the truth that says, God loves me. God is for me. God wants me to experience more strength, more grace, more joy, more purpose, more love than I've ever experienced before. That in God's pleasure, there's, there's fullness of delight. There's fullness of joy. I'm going to start really believing that and expecting that. Whatever it is, if you're, if you're just have a cloud of shame over you, that you would say, you know what? I'm going to draw near to God. I'm going to stop hiding from God. I'm going to stop hiding from people. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Second Corinthians 7.10 says godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Worldly sorrow brings death. And so repentance, you know what? It's a moment of pain. It's a moment of sorrow. Maybe it's hard, but being unrepentant continuing to think, in the, the, the believe the lies that we're believing, it's just going to lead to more complications, more difficulty, more pain, less of God's pleasure and delight, and more, more shame and more pain. And so I, I just pray that for each and every one of us that we would just have our eyes opened that if there's an area that we're, where we're starting to believe the lies of the devil, because this is what he does, this is what he did then, This is what he continues to do because it works. But that we would just rise up and say, I'm not going to believe these lies anymore. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask for your presence, God, to just come right now. And Lord, you know, God, the lies. Lord, you know the the ravages. God, you know the, the hardships. You know the pain. That's been in our lives because we've believed these lies. Lord, the death that's kind of all around. And so, Lord, I just pray right now in Jesus' name that wherever it is that we are believing the lies of the enemy, God, I pray that you would just give us wisdom right now, that you'd open up our eyes to see your truth, that we would just know and acknowledge, God, that, that your word is truth. Lord, that. Uh, that, that God, that you want to bring us into life, that you want to bring us into fullness and abundance of life, God, that we would really believe that. And so, God, I just pray that right now, God, wherever there is the, the pain of shame and regret and a feeling of failure and that desire to hide, Lord, I pray that you would bring us into your truth, into your love, into your presence. And God, I just pray in Jesus' name that our church, God, this that this church would be a place of restoration, Lord, of love, of grace, of mercy. And that, Lord, that, that shame and guilt and manipulation would have would have no place here as we keep our eyes on you. So Lord, bring us into everything that you and I just feel like just for, for some of us right now. You, you just, you have been doubting God. You have been doubting whether God really loves you, whether God's really for you, whether you can really hope and expect that God's going to bring good things into your life. And I just think that what you need to do right now is you need to just, maybe you need to say like the person who encountered Jesus, you know, when Jesus said, don't be afraid, just believe. And he said, I believe, help me, over, help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe you just need to say that. That's okay. That's a good prayer. You can say, I, Lord, I want to believe you. I want to trust you. But it's hard. Help me overcome my unbelief. And if you're here right now and you have not yet given your life to Jesus, see this whole thing of, of, of living this, this, this connection with God, this life with God, this, this being on the, the path that leads to life It starts with you submitting your life to Jesus, to giving him your life. And so if you haven't done that, I want to give you an opportunity to do that this afternoon. So you can just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I've gone down a lot of roads and I haven't found what I'm looking for. And so I just believe, Lord, that you're the one that I'm looking for. And so I ask you to forgive all of my sins I accept your free gift of salvation. Give me your Holy Spirit and teach me how to follow your path. I want to come into everything that you have for me. And I just declare that that from here on out, you, you are my Lord and I will follow you. Just keep your eyes closed. Do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer, if you're in the room, just raise your hand if you prayed that prayer. Okay, awesome. I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Text FOLLOW to 201 584 Or you can take your phone. There's a, for those of you who are in the room, there's a, you can take your phone and scan, use the QR code, uh, the, the one that says FOLLOWER OF JESUS. And just give us your information. Let us know that you prayed that prayer. We'll reach out to you this week, and we'll say, how can we pray for you? And we'll try to encourage you as you try to get more of God's truth in your life and just walk down the path that he has for you. All right, we're going to close the service. We've got people from the prayer team who will be over here to my right. They would love to pray for you. Whatever you need, just keep your masks on. If you go over to get prayer, we'll keep it socially distanced. Whatever you need prayer for, especially if you know that there's shame, if you know that there's been lies that you've been believing that have been causing pain, we, want to, we just want to declare God's freedom over you today and that you would begin to really just, just walk down that, that path of life and joy that God has for you. God bless you and uh, and have a great week.